I feel like it's finally okay to be yourself and it's okay to be different and like, okay to think differently and stuff, you know? And, and that's why I love it. It's a great time, you know, and it's perfect for entrepreneurs and creatives. And I mean, again, we could even talk through NFTs and the metaverse and stuff into here and think of what's going on now. And, you know, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic because everyone's sitting at home and, you know, tired of their old jobs and just doing their own thing and getting creative or what, but it's, it's a great time for, you know, for creatives and entrepreneurs, in my opinion. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the now world-famous Higher Standard Podcast. I am once again your host, Chris Nahibi, and I am here to help you distill the mass amount of information and disinformation that's out there. You heard the intro. You already know. I've been traveling a little bit for work, trying to just get the things that pay the bills done and not really focusing a whole lot on the podcast. I took a, about a week, week and a half off before I really recorded an interview. And that's that's unusual for me. Normally, I'm recording pretty much every couple of days, once or twice a week for sure. So I was excited to get back to my wife and get back to my son and get back to normal life. But I was also really excited for this particular guest. So much of what he's doing and how he's doing it resonates with me that I knew was going to be a good podcast. And I certainly was not disappointed. Zach Kurtz is the principal attorney at the Sneaker Law Firm. And I found him the same way I find most of my guests on Instagram. His Instagram handle is at Sneaker Law Firm. And he provides business and legal solutions to those in the sneaker space, as the name suggests, but he also is in sports and entertainment, technology and fashion. And those are all really exciting industries for someone like me. Those are all things that I personally really, really like. And to hear about another attorney who's on the forefront of, of advertising and branding himself in a very public way like this, for those of you who don't know, most attorneys, it's so conservative that they just can't do this at their law firm generally doesn't look too good. This doesn't look too good for them and they look down upon it, but to have an attorney that's this, this public and this out in front and using this and leveraging the platform, it's just fascinating to me because this is kind of how my banking career has been in a lot of ways. I went from that traditional suit guy to wearing sneakers in my suits to now being in a work from home environment and, and, and living a different lifestyle. So, a lot of what we got into the podcast dealt with a little bit of that, but also about our sneaker, our love for sneakers and our love for NFTs and some of the culture that goes around it. And Zach's a straight up guy. I can see why he's doing well. Like many entrepreneurs in business, and if you listen to this show, you heard this resoundingly similar theme as they are passionate about what they do. They do it because they love it, not necessarily because of the money. 
And Zach is clearly one of those entrepreneurs and it served him well. His timing couldn't have been any better with his creation of the sneaker law firm Instagram page and him leveraging what's going on in the ether out there as it relates to NFTs and intellectual property and some of the larger companies preparing to get into places like the metaverse, for example. It's really fascinating stuff. I don't want to spoil anything for you. So I'll let you jump into this wonderful interview with Zach Kurtz. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I bring you Zach Kurtz, the one and only man behind the sneaker law firm, the man who runs the Instagram page, right? Is that you personally? Yeah, yeah, it's me. I get some help from my interns and some of my staff as well. But yeah, I like, I like to think I'm the creative mind behind that uh, as well as other stuff. <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of what you do. Not only am I somewhat of a student of the game uh, as it relates to law and IP, but I love sneakers, bro. I, it is my thing. I love it. It's it's a passion. Clearly, you do too, right? Yep, exactly. That's how this whole thing started, just finding my passion. And clearly, it was sneakers. There is still. <laughs> so let, let's get into that. How does the sneaker law firm come about? It cannot be a traditional path for an attorney doing what you do. No, definitely. And, and you said it right. Like I started just being someone who uh, loves sports and loves sneakers and just sort of wanted to take that traditional path. I, I always wanted to be, I played soccer growing up and in college and a little overseas. And I always wanted to do like sports kind of law stuff, but it, it was, and it was really hard to find or take the traditional path. And I was always one of those guys who I liked, you know, fashion and design and clothing. So I would wear Jordans uh, under my suit or I would wear, you know, just a, uh, you know, not a tie, I just wear a little more relaxed kind of fit. And, and once people got to know me, I'd wear, sweatshirts, you know, more streetwear into the work. Uh, so I always be looked at differently. And I mean, I started working corporate law right after law school. Uh, and I had my own practice on the side. And you know how corporate laws and big law is and just being that, you know, different kind of person, not from the Harvards or the Yales or the big laws and just dressing a little differently and having a creative mindset. I wouldn't say tough to fit in or anything like that, because uh, I always made it work. But it was just, you know, just different. And after doing that for some time, I was able to find my path and, and got my way into just doing really what I'm passionate about. And it's just working with sneakers and streetwear brands and uh, under my own my own law firm and working with other big companies as well. Man, I can relate to that so, so much. When I started in banking, I was wearing suits, but I would always wear white sneakers. And I got a whole Jordan 1 collection that I would never wear with the suits just because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want anybody to lose their mind because they, they see me walking with a pair of J's. But I had the same thing, you, you know, and now we're casual. Now, now the entire zeitgeist is work from home. We're, we're, we're able to wear whatever we want. And it still weirds me out to this day to put on a pair of Jordans put on a pair of jeans and a hoodie and go to the office. And I still make the same amount of money. I still get the same amount of respect. It's crazy how different things are, right? Right. It really is. And, and that's sort of what, like, for me, the the pandemic and Instagram and all that sort of, like, opened up that for me. Because just like a lot of people, I was going into the office doing that nine to five. And, you know, people didn't allow you to not just dress or be yourself in the office. But, you you know, you didn't, you'd get lucky if you had one day off for work from home or something like that. And it just transitioned from one day to, like, five days to to, you know, do whatever you want, as long as you get your job done. And I feel like that's how it should be, you know, as long as you're getting your job done, who cares what you're doing and what you're looking like, and everyone should be able to be themselves and be creative. And I mean, it's easier said than done. I've always been a proponent of that. And it's it's crazy to me to see the world embracing it now. And all it took was a worldwide pandemic. But I want to get I want to I want to get into the, the 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 origin story. So you went to a corporate traditional corporate law firm. You were kind of doing this on the side. It was like a side hustle slash passion for you. Or did you always kind of know that was the end goal for you? Yeah, well, I'm taking a step back. So 
I mean, I, like I said, I always wanted to do sports law. And when you talk, like I have a bunch of mentors, I mean, you know, as well as me, that's the biggest thing in this world, having mentors, whether it's, you know, in your profession or business or banking or whatever it is to, to help you guide you along the way. And I'm fortunate enough to not only have a great team that works with me at Sneaker Law Firm, but also mentors that, that help me get there and ask all the questions. So right after law school, I thought, hey, I'm going to be that go-getter and open my own firm. Uh, and I did that. <laughs> and I had like one client. This is before Instagram. So, you know, you had to pay a lot of money for advertising and marketing. And I like spent all my bar mitzvah money in law school working to try and be an NFL agent. That was like my first passion. Uh, <laughs> and I got this guy drafted, but we realized that like, you know, you barely get any money if you didn't play and all this stuff. So it was great experience during law school, doing all that kind of stuff and all those internships. But I realized that I didn't want to be an NFL agent. Uh, so I went to my mentor and said, Hey, what do I do? So I started my own firm just to sort of throw myself out there. But he said, go get experience. And that's when I actually listened to him. So I did a stint doing personal injury law, a stint at the SBA under Obama doing business law for the small business administration. No kidding. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, and then after that, I started doing just corporate law. That was when I said, okay, now I really need to focus on working for like the New York Jets or the teams that I really love like that. And the only way to do that is to get that in-house experience. And it was awesome. And I did, you know, some stuff at the NFLPA and did a little work, uh, you know, just in footwear with Under Armour when they were first starting out with the business side and stuff. And uh, really just got my name out there and just did a bunch of different stuff. And right around, and you'll appreciate this part, right around 2014, 2015, when the Yeezy Boots, remember the Turtle Doves? What was it? I think it was 15 when the Turtle Doves first came out. And that was when the Yeezy hysteria started coming out. And it was impossible to get those shoes. Impossible. Right. And just like everyone, I wanted them. So I thought I got a pair, but I got ripped off. It was a, a fake pair. And I wanted a pair so bad. So I went to the sneaker con with all my buddies because we're all big sneakerheads. And I just met a whole bunch of people there. And some of them were like influencers. Some of them worked for like ATC, add to cart services and bots. And it was literally just, you know, the whole broad spectrum of the sneaker industry from resellers to customizers. And just being myself, I was able to say, hey, I'm a lawyer. And like, most of the time I was just using their services. I was buying their services and they'd reach out to me and ask me questions. And it just developed into a relationship starting in, you know, right then 2014, 2015. And I would attend sneaker cons and it was really just to me, I didn't even think of it as a job at first. I would just say, yeah, I'll answer this question or I'll do this contract with you for, you know, StockX would go, you know, these big companies I'll, and give me a pair of shoes. That's really what it was for me. <laughs> uh, and then after doing that so much, it eventually turned into, you know, during the, with the pandemic, I was using Instagram a lot more and using that for marketing. And it turned into, you know, more of a full-time thing where I could, you know, do only sneaker stuff. And I didn't have to work any other jobs like that. And it was really just being able to find my passion, but just being myself and just talking sneakers on a daily basis. Wow. There are so many consistent themes about entrepreneurship that you just dropped all in one statement. I don't, I don't even know which way I want to go. So I'm going to start with, <laughs> with, with, the, with the basics. Okay. So you clearly followed something that you love and you were doing it not for the money. Obviously you were getting paid in sneakers and early on you, you had, you couldn't have had any idea at that point in time, the value of what it was that you were chasing. It was just love, right? Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. And I mean, I think the, the values growing up from my parents and for me playing sports and stuff. And, and as we talked about before, I heard your uh, first podcast. So I sort of know your story. And it was similar to mine in the fact that like, 
you know, I didn't really, I wasn't great in school, especially in, uh, in high school. I really tried hard in college. I really didn't really try that hard, but in law school, I was trying really hard. And like, you know, we could turn it on when we need to for those school things. But when we find something that we're passionate about like this, it's all, you know, full speed ahead. And, you know, we know what we're doing and it's great. Cause you get lost in it. It's intoxicating. Exactly. It's adrenaline. And, and sometimes I even have to find myself and tell myself in my head, slow down. You know, you, you know, shoes and it's fun to talk about it, but you're a New Yorker. So you got to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's it's crazy to me to see that somebody gave you the corporate advice in this day and age. I have so many of the younger generation and this is not a knock. I love the younger generation and I respect them. And I'm not that guy who's going to talk badly. But I will say there is a consistent theme that I'm seeing with younger people in the, in the workforce who don't want to do that. They, they refuse to do the corporate thing. They don't understand the value of seeing the structure as a baseline to building their business. That had to be huge, huge for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And you hit the nail on the head. That, that's really what it's all about. You know, building your business off of that and you got to have a solid foundation. So you're exactly right. And you got some insight into how things work. And sometimes it's not about, you know, loving how they, how they work. It's more about appreciating how you don't want to work that way per se. Right. Exactly. And, and every, I've, you know, like I said, every company I work for and every person I work for, you know, had, I, I learned a lot from every single one, the good and the bad. And just like you said, some stuff you learned, Oh, I, I like this, you know, whether like one person that I, one of my bosses said, you know, after they have an email uh, meeting or something with you, I want you to send like a little summary a recap of it. And I really like that, you know, and like just take little traits like that from each job and each company and stuff. And like, I don't know, it, it just builds off each other. And I feel like eventually after 10, 20 years, like where we're at we're now, we're going to be, you know, continue learning every day, but we'll get there and it's going to, you know, lead us to something good. You know, a cool one I heard recently, this is a little off topic, but I thought it was cool. I might share it. Uh, a, a guy that I respect a lot, he told me that he's been working from home and he's an older guy in his 60s. And he said that he missed his open door policy to the work environment. He used to have his employees come in, ask him questions, and he loved the access to him. And he felt that that kept his ear close to the ground. But now he's working from home. So he said that he set up a Zoom room on a second screen because he had a dual, dual, dual work screen. And anytime he's not in a meeting, he's in the meeting and people can pop in and talk to him. Oh, that's nice. I like that. That's wild. It's interesting, right? So I tried it the other day. I, want, I, I pinged into his meeting. and was like, hey, man. And he's literally in front of the screen. Granted, he didn't look that great. But, you know, he's in front of the screen. And he's working. <laughs> so awesome. there's a little hacks you get from corporate America have some value to it. I was talking to a guy yesterday who, who just was in such awe that I worked a corporate job. And I thought to myself, the times of, of corporate America being the suit and tie and the shiny shoes and all that has really changed dynamically. I don't know what J.P. Morgan and Chase and some of the bigger banks are like, but and I can't imagine what the law firms are like, but that's got to be a huge cultural issue. Are you dealing with that at all in your firm? Or are you guys just like, we know what we are, we're cool, we don't need to look a certain way? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of both. You're exactly right. Like, we're, I, I, the whole purpose of my firm is just being who you are, you know? And it starts with us, you know, just being who we are from how we dress to what the clients we represent and that stuff. So that's a, our big motto and stuff. But you're right, like just with the whole kind of corporate America thing, you still have to sort of, you know, work with them and such. And a lot of our clients are big companies and we love it. And I think that's what the coolest thing is about, like everything, you know, in general in the past couple of years with the pandemic that like these big companies now, especially in sneakers and streetwear and everything, like we could dive into that, the collaborations and all that kind of stuff. Everyone wants to work with, you know, people that are different. You know, it's not just the normal, usual collabs. You're seeing 
class with entertainers and musicians and just smaller brands as well. There's a lot of smaller brands and those are the brands that I work with now, like the independent brands and stuff that are really making the name for themselves. And they're getting deals with the Nikes and the Adidas's and the, you know, the Bapes and, and all these big companies. And that's what I think it's really all about. These big companies finally realizing that, you know, you don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to Yale to have these great ideas and have these good companies and to be a good businessman. And that's why we really like working with the small businesses because this is the perfect time to to open that up, you know. Yeah, and I will say, and I'm, I'm I'm really trying to exercise some self restraint and not get directly into the collabs and the shoes because I want to so bad. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm trying to be somewhat restrained. But I will say, yeah, it, it's interesting to me to see how creative thought processes and all these things aside, I've always believed that adversity builds character. And I don't necessarily believe that everybody who goes to Harvard, everybody who goes to Yale, everybody who you know doesn't go to college necessarily has adversity. But I've found that a lot of the creative thinkers take untraditional paths, whatever that might be. Yeah. So for what it's worth, I, you know, that pedigree and all that stuff that I think used to have a tremendous amount of value, I don't know that it has the same value in the same way. Look at Kanye and Virgil, rest in peace to him. Look at Kanye and Virgil and their impact on fashion, on shoes, on, on the world right now. It's crazy, isn't it? I love that Netflix. Yeah, you're exactly right. But and that's why I agree with you. Like, I mean, not setting us collabs and all that stuff aside. I feel like it's it's finally okay to be yourself and it's okay to be different and like okay to think differently and stuff, you know. And and that's why I love it. It it really is. It's a great time, you know. And it's perfect for entrepreneurs and creatives. And I mean, again, we could even talk throw NFTs and the metaverse and stuff into here and think of what's going on now. And you know, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic because everyone's sitting at home and you know, tired of their old jobs and just doing their own thing and getting creative or what. But it's a, it's a great time for, you know, for creatives and entrepreneurs, in my opinion. Oh, tremendous. I was talking to a guy yesterday who was so, actually two, believe it or not, that were super amped on NFT projects they have going on. One of them was the traditional NFT, you know, images randomized and sold on something like OpenSea. But the other one was leveraging blockchain technology, trying to do the real estate, changing the way title is done. And there's a lot of political infrastructure to change it. But it's a super exciting time, particularly in the world of intellectual property, where you seem to have a certain degree of subject matter expertise. Yeah, yeah. It just It's like you said, like, I really just pay attention to that stuff. And uh, I'm fortunate enough, I'm a single old guy right now, so that like, I don't have a wife or kids to go home to. So instead, I go home and pay attention to the trademark, uh, you know, Gazette and see what's going on in the world of trademarks and in sneakers and the metaverse and, you know, read all these crazy new cases with StockX and Nike and all these people. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to call that an expertise. And, and for those who don't know, the trademark Gazette is published by, uh, you know, effectively it's, it's the, the magazine which talks about new trademarks that are coming down the pipe and you as an attorney want to be mindful of it because it let you know the current things that are happening and also let you dispute trademarks that may infringe on your trademark or you think infringe, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, to be honest, I, I look at that every now and then just for my client stuff, but it's mainly just the same thing, trademark searches and stuff, which you could find that exact same information, as you said. And that's the fun stuff to be seeing who filed the marks, actually, you know, and, you know, all these big companies have, have the money and the expenditures to to do what they please. And it's always interesting to see who filed what today. <laughs> Zach, give me the greatest segue of all time. I can't I can't restrain myself anymore. Let's get into that. Nike has been dropping trademarks like crazy. They're clearly in the IP game trying to protect their IP. They're coming down on the resellers. They're coming down on people that are really the customizers in some way. You got to have an opinion or thoughts on the things you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is just my opinion on it is uh, that you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a new world out there in the metaverse and everything. And Nike's clearly a bunch of trademarks in the metaverse, uh, especially for 
the company they acquired, Artifact, uh, as well as not just trademarks for the metaverse, but trademarks for their silhouettes of their shoes. That's another thing that I've really noticed a, a lot lately. And as all the big companies do, they could file that and they could protect it. And that's really what it comes down to. Once you have the trademark, you could, you know, in the United States and even globally, once you get those other registrations, you could protect it. And Nike's such a big company. I think that's the stage they're at. You know, they have oh, an amazing innovation team. And they keep inventing new products and stuff. But now just to keep their marks from counterfeiters and all the craziness that's going on in China and all those other websites over there, you need to protect these silhouettes. And I mean, speaking of IP, because you know IP just as well as me, there's a bunch of different ways to protect it. And it's just crazy now that we're sort of seeing a shift of, you know, people in the sneaker industry using trade dress to protect sneaker silhouettes. It's gone on for a while and stuff, but really it's sort of new in the you know grand scheme of things. And usually they use patents, but as you know, patents have a, a lifespan. So it's crazy to think that they could do trade dress for these silhouettes and other stuff and uh, a lot of just ornamental kind of type features and, and get protected forever. And there's a lot of cases going on right now. I mean, you know, John Geiger is the big one and that's going to be a great one just to watch. And John Geiger was a custom. I, did he he used the uh, was it the Jordan one or the Air Force one? I think it was Jordan one that he he mainly copied, right? Uh, Air Force one. Air, Air Force, Force one. one. Okay, yeah. yeah, or the alleged. That's what they're alleging. Alleging, alleging that he copied. And he's the first one fighting back aggressively, right? Yeah. Well, he sort of got dragged into this whole lawsuit uh, with, that started with La La Land, and to be honest, it even started before that. It started with Warren Lotus and his Reaper shoe, and and that's sort of what happened here. Uh, Nike was using these kind of facts from Lotus and La La Land uh, to to bring Geiger in and use those facts against Geiger in this case. And they're even trying to separate the cases uh, most recently. And I think they lost that motion and they struck back hard with a, with a counterclaim against Nike's trademark. So I really like to see that. And, you know, we'll, we'll actually, it sounds like we might actually get a decision at the end of this to, to set some precedent. So I'm rooting for Geiger and his legal team for sure. Yeah. And you got to root for the small business as much as I, I love Nike and I love the big brands and they've been an iconic part of my childhood. I do love customizers i do love people that are taking classic silhouettes and for those of you who aren't familiar with shoes they're really taking the structure of the shoe and its shape and form and they're saying that we own this right exactly you're exactly right i mean i feel for nike and i'd be doing the exact same thing as them and you know they can still win they still have a great chance you know based on the law here but you're right like essentially they're really just you know using their own a version of the nike silhouette an altered version of the nike silhouette and putting their own logos and brands on it and to me, that's fine. You know, every brand has their own association to the community. Like if someone sees, uh, you know, a V or something, they might think, hey, this is associated with this brand or a Z. They might think it's my brand, you know. So who are we to say that this shoe is exactly like Nike, you know, just because of the silhouette is like that. So I don't know. It's just a very it's a very technical thing. I'm trying to, you know, just explain it broadly. But I think that it's, it's, it's more than just a side by side comparison of the silhouettes is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, 1,000%. And I don't know anybody who's actually a shoe person who's ever said, I'm not going to buy this Nike. I'm going to buy this shoe that looks like this Nike. They, they know what they're buying and they're trying. And they're usually somebody who's deep into the shoe game who are trying to buy something custom or unique that reminds them of a brand they fell in love with. But they still have plenty of that. This is where I think there's enough market share to go around. I don't understand. I understand that, that why Nike's taking the tack they're taking to protect their assets. But it'll be interesting to see what case precedence gets set with any kind of any kind of ultimate conclusion by the court here, right? I mean, this could this could change the way shoes are really made and created internationally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that's that's really the question here. You know, like what is it that you associate with a brand? Can you just put your own logo on it there, or is there a lot more goodwill and stuff that goes into it? 
And I agree with you. Like there, there really is a lot more that goes into it. And if you look at, if you look at something and you see, and you have an immediate association with something, then that's a, that's a big deal, you know? And the most important thing that I think you'd appreciate as well from a sneakerhead perspective, we know the industry, you know? So if you ask any sneakerhead what this is, they're going to say, Oh, that's a John Geiger for sure. You know? But if you ask my mom or my grandma or something, who's never seen a shoe in their life before, and everything to them is a shoe. They don't even call them sneakers. They still probably call them tennis shoes, you know, like from back of the day when everything was just a shoe they wear for a tennis. So like that's, and that's the issue here. What's the legal standard in comparison to that? And it's, it's a tough one. So we might actually see a, a verdict on that and get some sort of precedent or some guidance on these factors. For sure. And I look at that scenario and I think to myself, that person's not going to buy a John Geiger shoe. They're going to go buy a Nike shoe because it's cheaper. It's more widely known exactly. and they know where to get it. So that, that's where I question whether there's economic viability in the long-term strategy that Nike's got going on here. But Right? There's no confusion there, in my opinion, right? Just like you said, the, there's no confusion. You're not going there and saying, oh, I'm going to buy a $100 different shoe that's not a Nike. Well, and then you think about it in the context of a brick-and-mortar location. Nike owns that those markets. They own the, the real estate not only retail, but also on, on online. Their presence is tremendous. They have their sneakers app, which is glorified extortion in my mind, but I'm still addicted. And it's a whole thing. It, there's no way anybody who's even got a little bit of money is going to compete with them. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of why trademarks are so you know, messed up, in my opinion, in general, because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Whether you, it, I mean, it's whether you're a big Nike or even these other big companies like Nike and StockX, you know, because they're both big dogs, maybe they can fight it out towards the end. But if you're not a big dog that has hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, sometimes even millions or half millions of dollars to fight these year long battles. You're going to have to give in to these guys. And that means, you know, whether you put a Nike swoosh on your on your uh, sneaker or merchandise or not, whether you just put your own brand on it, you know. So even if it's like a legal, a tight call or a close call, you know, you're usually going to have to bend over to these bigger companies or, or bigger law firms that, you know, kind of bully people around. And that's the reality of trademark law. So that's why I think these cases, Geiger and StockX and all these ones where the people are, you know, have the money to to fight these battles and stuff are really important because they have the ability to set precedent and give us these guidelines of, you know, what is trade dress? You know, if all these companies are filing trade dress applications, does that mean I can't do anything that's even remotely close to it? So true. And I'll tell you from personal experience, and I signed an NDA, so I shouldn't be sharing it, but I'm going to share it anyway. So nobody sue me. I actually tried to sue Budweiser. Remember, remember Blair, Blair, Beer Black Crown? Yeah, I do remember that. Actually, yeah. that was <laughs> my college days. Yeah. Yeah. So my real estate company is Black Crown. My law firm's Black Crown Law. And I have a a word mark on black crown as it relates to real estate and pro, I think property management a couple a couple other things so you know nothing nothing super impressive nothing broad well they appointed they used to point that URL black crown to a an environmental cleanup really yeah so the reason why it's no longer pointed to that environmental cleanup is I may have gotten a little sticky with the law with their legal counsel and asking them to to sell it to me and they obviously said hell no it was actually <laughs> much more aggressive than hell no they, they, right. had, they had his law firm. It was masterfully done. She basically told me to go get, get fucked and that they were never going to sue me the URL and that that I was never and, and they had the money to spend. And, and I honestly didn't want to spend the time and the brain damage to do it. I just had a number of people who thought the URL belonged to me because it was an environmental cleanup and it wasn't clear that it was owned by Anheuser-Busch. So that's why if you go to that website to this day, it goes to a blank website. I did have a small W there. I'll have to check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know how it is, but I've been some battles like that kind of stuff myself. So, it's, that, and that's to my point, you know, like even if we're lawyers or even if we have millions of dollars and stuff to spend on this stuff, 
do we really want to fight these kind of battles with these big companies over this stuff? So like it's, it's tough, you know, especially when you're dealing with small businesses over this stuff. Oh, it can be, it can be brain damage and the nuance that people get into can be so, so difficult and frustrating that I wish sometimes you could sit down and have a conversation, but enough of the whining. Let's get into where do you think this goes for the, for the NFT space in the metaverse? Where, Where do you think, Obviously, these companies are getting real aggressive with what they're doing, and the trade dress has some kind of value to companies like Nike. Do you think we're talking about virtual shoes for avatars in the future? Or are we talking about maybe an NFT that belongs to a real-world shoe? Like, where do you think that goes? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's going all all the above, you know? I mean, as you see right now, we have all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm a, I'm a proud member of uh, CloneX, and I got in with Artifact early just because of the staple shoe and all that. So I love following that I was so that bitter. I was, I, when you posted that avatar, I was like, son of a bitch. I, was, I, was <laughs> I got so lucky, bitter. man. I literally got lucky. I just told my buddy because I remember seeing all this Jeff Staple stuff, and I was like, this seems like a cool thing. So I was just lucky enough to, to get in on that and kept telling all my friends, and half of them were believers, the other half weren't. So like, I love that. And that's sort of why I, I follow all that stuff so much. Like Just like you said, to your point, all these brands are – not just getting their, you know, trade dress and logos and stuff, uh, trademark, but they're also getting different product names and, you know, everything into the metaverse. And, and it seems to be like anywhere from three to five different categories that are sort of standard, but they're all, you know, related to virtual goods and NFTs and, you know, just getting with virtual restaurants, you know, whatever kind of service they have. And it's really interesting just to see these companies just take the dive in there from a trademark perspective. And, and I mean, I guess a lot of them aren't even using it yet. So the next step is to see how they're using them. So I'm excited for both. And that's the crazy part to me that I still wrap my head around. At least I've tried to wrap my head around anyway. These guys are all preparing for a world that nobody fully understands in the metaverse, but they're just trying to protect their rights in the real world. But we don't really know what that means yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's so crazy. But like, I don't know, as a trademark, as someone who likes trademarks, you understand, like, in, to my, in my opinion, it's so cheap to file a trademark. Uh, compared to a patent, you know, and especially the time and the fact that it lasts forever. So if you're some of these companies and you see your competitors or anyone else rushing in, especially if you have in-house counsel, even if you don't, you know, why not spend a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to file a trademark, even if you don't use it, uh, you know, because the next thing that you see is all these artists like uh, the Meta Birkin case, you know, uh, he, I mean, Birkin, that, that's why it's a good comparison because Birkin didn't have those applications filed for virtual goods. They just had an actual trademark for Birkin and a little different kind of trade dress on the bags. But they're using that application to go after them in the metaverse. So like for all these people who are creatives and stuff and sort of beat the big brands to the metaverse, there's still consequences for that possibly. So it's just it's a, really the Wild West and everyone's just preparing for, for everything. And it's a, it's a crazy storm right now. I like it, though. It's interesting to see. <laughs> it's Well, and, and a lot of the things that we do in, from a legal perspective doesn't necessarily have the the amount of immediate resolution that we're getting with some of these. I mean, case law is coming out. This is what the, the beauty was. I don't know if you followed cryptocurrency in Wyoming, but Wyoming wound up being like kind of the front runner from a legal perspective because of the bankruptcy laws and the cases that were coming out. They looked at they looked at the futures markets for both Bitcoin and Ethereum and recognized that both of them had value. They could actually articulate to some degree of certainty in a bankruptcy proceeding. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, I didn't hear about the bankruptcy aspect. That's impressive, though. That's crazy. I know Wyoming is one of those usual states with, like, you know, favorable kind of taxes and stuff, but I had no clue they took it to that extent with bankruptcy. That's big time for them. Huge for them, and more interesting for the ramifications of, of how these things are valued and the futures markets for them. And 
so it's shocking to see how the NFT space, the blockchain, the cryptocurrency space, and all these things are evolving at the same time that now you have these companies that are trying to add value to to their businesses by incorporating them, but nobody knows how to do it yet. Everybody's kind of taking little nibbles of it, but nobody's really in. I thought Nike buying Artifact was really, really interesting because they're clearly taking a stance in the future of of this space. But right now, it's just selling images, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, so Nike's been, or at least according to their complaint with StockX and, and such like that, they've technically been in video games before where, you know, they've had virtual Nike shoes and video games and stuff. So I guess their claim is that they have been in the in this space already in some way or another. But you're right, like the biggest move to me was buying Artifact, and we're not buying, acquiring Artifact. Uh, and if you look now at the trademarks, Artifact filed a bunch of trademarks for Clone X was one of them, and a bunch of other meta jacket and a bunch of cool words before they got acquired. And now after the acquisition, Nike is you know filing similar artifact related trademarks just under Nike's name. So it's just a clear you know sh- showing as well as the, the lawsuit against StockX that you know Nike's here to stay. And anything with a swoosh in the metaverse, you know, similar to what they do in the physical world, you know, they're trying to do that in, in the metaverse as well in the digital world. That's fascinating. I hadn't really thought about the video game aspect. I guess when you think about it from that perspective, all these companies have licensed their digital images and their rights to their IP to these games. And that just didn't happen by accident. Yeah, exactly. I think I remember one of the trademark applications for Polo, Polo Sport, they were showing, I think it was Second Life or one of those kind of virtual worlds. So I think they, I don't know if they actually had a Polo Sport world in Second Life or, or what that was, but somehow it got approval and was used in the metaverse and they actually used that as a specimen in the application. I hadn't even thought about that. Wow. Yeah. So some of these companies are not, you know, they're filing actual applications that are 1A using them already. So it's it that in itself to me is interesting to see which ones have actually shown that they're using it and which ones are worth, you know, willing to take take it and then do it later. So you've spent a lot of time. I, I can tell from the stuff that you've been posting on Instagram, which is, is an amazingly awesome free resource. Your, your Instagram is, is pretty amazing. We're going to have that linked, obviously, in the show notes and we'll plug it at the end. But you're putting out a lot of content on what's going on in the IP world, in the shoe world, in the, in the fashion world in general. It seems to me, based on your page and based on the things that I'm seeing, that there's been a massive uptick in activity. Do you think that's solely because of what's going on with the metaverse, or do you think there's other factors that are impacting it? I mean, I think it's a lot of other factors. Uh, I mean, just you know, the accumulation of everything, but the metaverse certainly does. You know, just... I mean, the trade dress kind of stuff that I was talking about before sort of plays an impact to it. And I mean, just what's going on with the world, as well as, you know, manufacturing and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, Because, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of different websites popping up with counterfeits all over. And I feel like that has a big issue to play with all these trade dress applications and, uh, and, you know, just the overall creativity and what everyone's doing now during this pandemic era is is really the biggest thing to me. So I think it's it's just a crazy time. Like we talked about earlier, tying into all that. Just a crazy time to be alive for for creatives and just seeing with the metaverse like what can happen with everyone. And I, I will say, from a guy who who has inadvertently bought counterfeits before myself, and in, in one case, actually, I will admit I bought a pair just to see what they look like. Some of these counterfeits are damn good, dude. They're really good. Oh, I agree. That's like I said. Like the it started by me getting fakes, and then I was more interested in authentication. And I worked with authenticators, and still work with authenticators. And like that's one of my f- favorite things. And it's just crazy because there's no real playbook for this, you know? So like these authenticators could get really good. And some of them are even from the same, you know, facilities that, that Nike's and Adidas and, you know, real kind of shoes are made. So there really almost is no difference at all. Just a matter of 
who gets you the shoe. And like, you know, there are some inter- interesting Instagram pages on that and like on UAs and all that stuff as well. So it's just a crazy world that we live in with sneakers in general from resellers to bots to ATCs to, to cook groups to anything. So it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I love being a part of it. Keeps you on your toes. So I didn't realize you did, you did work with authenticators. I have always wondered, and, and I don't know if you know or not, there's got to be liability for them that's significant that they that they're willing to take on to be an authenticator, right? That that can't just be easy for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot of companies that claim to be authenticators and stuff, and have lawsuits against them, real, real, and and such like that. And and you know their standards are you know they're they're fixing their standards and they're you know putting that kind of stuff in checks and balances because it really is the wild wild west. Like, what does it mean to to be authentic? You know, who knows that. Is, is it the old brands that made it or is it other people as well? Uh, and, and, you know, because these brands like to keep that kind of secret sauce to themselves. So it really is tough to have these authentication standards. And there's definitely some legal liability around it. And, and that's why, I, you know, I, I like doing it. It's legal and business aspects of it. And it's always, you know, fun to create that new kind of standards and such. So I, I went on a trip to China a while back and it was there. I was there for fun, but we went to Guangzhou which is really like the kind of like their fashion or style textile mecca, if you will. And when I was there, I saw a bunch of knockoffs and fakes. And in one of the stores, which was, it looked just like a high end Louis Vuitton store. I mean, it looked just like it. You, you would never know if you, if you didn't know you were in China, you would have been like, this is a real Louis Vuitton store. This, this is real. I asked the guy straight up, like how, how does some of this stuff look? I mean, some of it didn't look great. Some of it looked dead on accurate. And he straight up told me, the, the people who make this are the same factory who make it for Louis Vuitton, and they just take the parts that they, they that they make and they combine with other parts that they can get from other people. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I totally believe it. You know, it's it's wild. That's the same thing happens with shoes, and it's it's just a wild, wild west. Just seeing that, and especially going to China, I couldn't imagine that'd be a fun trip. I don't know if you've ever been, but it was it was an awesome trip. Yeah, it was cool. We went to Shanghai, Guangzhou. It was nice. Ooh, yeah, I was supposed to go before the pandemic hit, so that got postponed because of all this. So I will be there soon. I'm going to have to call you for some advice. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll tell you there's some places to go. And I don't know if you've ever been to Vietnam. We went to Vietnam, and I I was blown away there, too, with some of the stuff that you see. from. So we went to um, we were in Ho Chi Minh, and there's a Bintan Market, which is kind of their center. It's laid out like Paris, where there's District 1 in the center, and it spirals around. There's this market. It's known to be have it has like foods on one food on one side, and the other side it's all retail like products. There was a girl who was selling Rolexes out front. I remember you remember when that green face Rolex, the the Hulk came out. Everybody was all about that Rolex. It had been like a waiting list. Yep, Canal Street. Yep. So I walk by and I see this one. I'm I'm an Apple Watch wearer, so I'm not that guy. But just for the record, so I see one in a case, and I actually had one at the time. I had waited for it. I put it on order. The whole thing. And I look at it and it looks dead on accurate. And I'm trying to ask her, like, what's going on here? Like, how did, how did this, how did you get a good, such a good counterfeit? Like, she told me straight up, half the parts come from the Rolex factory. The, the other half of the parts, you can go buy basic crystal anywhere. You can go buy that anywhere. And she was straight up. She, it, it, she had the box, the numbers, the the whole thing. It was crazy. That's wild. Yeah, I believe it, man. It's it, it's funny. It's the, every time I talk to authenticators with watches, it's like, it's, I would thought, think it would be like similar across the board, but watches are so different than, you know, handbags versus sneakers and all that kind of stuff because like of the parts and such. But it's just crazy just seeing that, how realistic you could see, like they could be. And I remember going back to Canal Street growing up in New York, just getting all the fakes and stuff. But it was, it was such a good time with mom, like for purses and stuff. It was always so ske- sketchy and stuff, but it was, it was hilarious. Oh, good times. 
Yeah, no, so I've, trust me, I've been there. I know what it's like. I will say, though, that that people now have made a business out of this stuff. And it's interesting to see how many of those people. I wonder how many people that are on the in the customizing game, how many people that are out there right now as a creative that started off that way. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like, I mean, I don't know. Even if you read the the Nike book, uh, Phil Shoe Dog by, with Phil Knight, it's sort of Nike had the same similar origins like as Bape and all these other companies where, you know, they sort of take whether it be a silhouette or a shoe and, you know, use it and tweak it a little to get their own. And next thing you know, they're they're off and running in, in the Nike. And I feel like it's sort of a progression for some of these companies or these creatives. I don't know if it's like mental roadblock or it's just like, you know, building off of something that's that's great and turning it into your own. And every company does it. So it, 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 you're exactly right with that. So as a guy who's in this space now, you've been established. You, you got an interesting marketing platform with Instagram. A lot of law firms do not market the way you do. They're definitely not out there and as visible like you are. And they're certainly not giving away the, the amount of free information that you do on a daily basis. Clearly, this has to align yourself with your target audience, right? But it is free advertising still at the same time too, right? Yeah, I mean, well, you're right. But I think at the same time, that's sort of what, what makes us different. And what, you know, being, going back to what I was talking about before, being yourself. And like, I remember one of my friends said, when I started doing all that stuff on Instagram, I asked him, what is it? Is it the name or is this like, no, it's the fact that like, you know, I'm just used to looking at sneakers and stuff. And then one day I opened it up and I saw a complaint, you know, and it was like, <laughs> and I've never seen a legal document. Like, what did he call it? Like my buddy, he said it on another podcast, legal papers or something like that. And it's just like most sneakerheads and most people weren't exposed to seeing this stuff before. And that's what I use Instagram for. And, and I'm not like, I'm not giving away a secret sauce. Like everything that I put on Instagram is public knowledge. Like I would get, you know, you know, as a lawyer, you get in trouble if I showed anything confidential or, or said anything confidential. I make sure that I don't do that for, you know, all my clients and just the world. So everything I'm showing is on the trademark board or in a public document from a complaint and stuff. It's just most people aren't used to seeing it and most people have to just like you said spend a lot of money to speak to some lawyer uh just to hear a, a two-second analysis of it and i mean i'm i don't know i've had people criticize me and say stuff like you know don't do this and don't do that but it's really just free 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 everything you know and i think it's good to share that and educate people from a aspect and you know some of them come clients and some of them don't some of them just become friends and i really like talking to them you know both of them either way <laughs> so yeah of course i mean people that's the thing you said it earlier when we first started talking about the relationships that you were building when you were going to some of these shoe conventions. But I have always said, and I think you've heard it on the show probably if you listened, that relationships are the truest form of currency. And those relationships you've built have really what it sounds like is really what you've based your business on or the people that that you like talking this stuff to, you know about, right? Exactly, exactly. That, that's that's how I don't know. That's how I think life should be. You know, hang around people who build you up and are, are good for you and who you want to be around. You know, and I'm just fortunate enough that. I'm actually able to pick my clients and work full time for a couple big companies and pick my other clients and do that. And it's really just like you said, like to me, it's not about the money, you know? I mean, I have on a daily basis, I can't tell you how many phone calls I have where I'm not charging people. And, you know, that's fun to me, you know, and especially if we're talking about sneakers or NFTs, like it's always interesting to hear what's going on in the industry and, and help people out. And you don't always have to charge people for it. Uh, and that's a big part of it, building these relationships because people remember that. And if you're talking to the right people and surrounding yourself with the right people, you're all going to rise up. What is it? There's another pod that I listen to. I think it's Strange on Purpose pod. Yeah, that's what it is. You listen to another pod? What? Ooh, I won't tell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, all these sneaker pods. And, you know, just like yours, it's, it's very, it's great for all the knowledge. And this one pod, uh, the line that I always forget is uh, 
talking about the elevator. And he says, bring, once you get up to the top, you know, bring the elevator back up. And that's sort of the mentality that I like to keep. Like, I'm definitely not there. I'm certainly nowhere where I want to be, you know, but like, you know, you got to bring people up with you and everyone could be there. So that's the mentality that I take. And I think it's always good for business. And, you know, you don't always have to be a shark lawyer or an asshole to, to get where you want to make billions of dollars and stuff. And it's not always about that. So the relationships that you make are more important, in my opinion. Man, I'm going to use that as a soundbite to every asshole attorney that I get into a fight with in the next couple of <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, man, it's not my opinion. It's true, though, and I, I do 1,000% agree with you. It is no good in being successful if you're successful alone and you can't help other people, and everybody around you should try to elevate. It isn't always that way, though. I know that for sure. In our industry, the legal profession is very old school. Have you seen pushback or, or other firms – look at, at what you're doing with a different connotation or different lens because they see your, your social presence or does that even phase you at all? I can't imagine that it could, right? Yeah. I mean, I try not to let it phase me. So it's definitely, uh, unfortunately I've, I've seen it and I've heard it and stuff, but like, I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't really phase me too much. I don't know if that's just my, uh, you know, sports mentality where, you know, I keep going and keep going, but just generally speaking, I'm, I'm, a, you know, glass, glass half full kind of person. So if something comes in the way, I try to, figure out a way to pivot and you know i feel like everyone should be able to work together so i try to talk it out and like see what's going on and they hear both sides uh and not respond to any of that kind of stuff and and just you know move in my own direction and that's been working so far so yeah no one thousand percent so i see all this i see what you're doing i think you hit the timing perfectly and i don't know if you've taken the self-assessment to look back and see it but you started pu pushing a lot of stuff on social media way ahead of the activity increase, I, th I think, in the IP world. But really, as NFT started to explode, as the metaverse started to explode, and I think you guys are ideally positioned as a really unique firm in a really, really public space with social media to take this up a notch. Do you know what that looks like? What's the next level for you guys? For us? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, it, it, I love using social media just to you know, to help educate and just bring a presence to, to my firm, but really just to talk about what's going on in the landscape and just help creators know what's going on so that they could get people like me and you, you know, whether they need someone for uh, legal sneaker kind of related stuff or whether they need someone for banking purposes, you know, like it's always good to have this outlet for education and, and knowledge and such, and just to see something different. And I think for, for us, uh, I guess I could say now I'm doing a little rebranding myself and just working on that kind of stuff as well for, for my firm. But it's still going to be really the same kind of content. Yeah, because of how great everything's going, I think, you know, we're not just going to be doing legal services. It's more legal and business kind of services and stuff. So we're rebranding. I'll save the the name and reopening for, for another time. But yeah, first hearing it first here right now, we're definitely doing a little work there. It's, it's really going to be the same kind of content, but just focused a little more on videos and trying to get get more advice from people on what they want to see with the metaverse and, you know, new kind of sneaker kind of stuff and what's going on out there and really just getting more more active doing that as well. So it should be fun times. I'm excited for you know 2022. I would like to see, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I would like to see you do a little more stuff in front of the camera, man. I, I've seen your content. I mean, you're not a bad looking dude. You know, no no reason why you couldn't get in front of the camera and use, you ever, you ever thought about leveraging your your personal profile and trying to build a brand off of you being in front of the camera and, you know, content team, that whole dog and pony show? I do it. There's no shame in it. I got to take some tips, man. Exactly. I, I have a TikTok, actually. I started doing it before, but, you know, business just got so good and, and I was, you know, doing a bunch everywhere. And I'm one of those guys who, you know, it, it's, 
it's tough to stop working and stuff. So I'm always working six, seven days a week, working late at night. So I was having, I was writing all these scripts and I still have some great scripts or some videos. So that's why I think 2022 should be great. Cause I'll focus on a little, you know, rebranding and doing a little more sneaker and streetwear focused business, which includes all these videos and just getting content out to different platforms. So I'm excited. Oh man. I would love, love to see you walking through a sneaker convention talking to people and then, you know, bringing up trade dress and some of the details of the shoes as you look at them in real time, just on, you know, that'd be hot, man. That's a good idea. See, I got to add that to the list. I like that. I got to get you involved too, man. Like I said, getting you from all this lawyer and banking experience as well, just, just to hear it as well with all this content. So be prepared. Don't let the resume fool you. I'm an absolute moron. I'm just, I'm just a tall moron. So people automatically assume that I'm smart because I'm tall or got a deep voice or something. It's not true. So I'll tell you this. I, I we we started going on. I'm not even gonna give you the opportunity to tell me it's not true. <laughs> we st- I I started about a year and a half, two years ago with the content team, and I think a lot of people who follow the podcast probably found me from social media. But it's been a work in progress, and and I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. I'm still not there, but it's been a learning experience, man. And I'll tell you that I wish I had the momentum you have already. I think given the the the, the space, the timing of what you're doing right now, I know I know it's gonna blow up for you. I think that's gonna work really really well. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. And like I said, I'm nowhere even near as close as good as you. I mean, as I sit here having 20 minutes of stupid technical difficulties with with the, with the my computer with you before, and now I'm on some headphones. So I'm learning as we go, and I'm definitely going to be learning more from you. So I appreciate the kind words, and you know, we'll definitely have to share stories about that back and forth. Well, I want to be mindful of your time, but before I let you go, I'm going to hit you with two things. One, I actually own, and I haven't used it yet, and I probably should, at legalities on TikTok, and I've not, I have never made a post, never done anything on it. It's a great legal forum. I just haven't figured out how to how to use it or what to do with it. So I'll, I'll figure something out at some point in time. But I like that. We'll be in touch. I like that. Yeah, nice. I thought it'd be really cool. And, and since we're, you know, hey, this might be a great time. I thought it'd be really cool to get some attorneys like you who have niche expertise, and we could use it as like a self promotion cross marketing platform for other attorneys. So like, there's that guy Law by Mike on. On Instagram, on TikTok, get him to do his thing. You can get Robert Frund, who does his thing as it relates to you know IP and some of the social media stuff that he's doing as well. And and it'd be interesting to have like individual attorneys just and this way we could all make content like once you know once a week or once every couple of weeks and still be active and put out you know enough content because we're all working on it. That's awesome. I love it, man. It's a great pitch right now, but I, I I love it, man. I'm definitely interested. I think there's a whole bunch of accounts that are sort of Instagram that are like that. And they do great. So it's a great, you know, shift it to Twitter. That would be an awesome idea. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. It's, hopefully it'll work out. So my real question, before <laughs> we end this, okay, look, we're, we're sneaker heads. You, you got you to gotta tell me what's in the closet, man. We got I got to know. Oh, my gosh, dude. I have, I've been, my collection is growing. I love it, man. I'm looking at it right now. So it depends what, what season we're in, what month we're in. I usually at least get one or two pairs a week, to be honest, depending on what I'm doing. So I've been going a whole bunch of independent brands now, to be honest. Uh, you know, I love, I love Bapes. I love Bape. Bapes having a big comeback, but New Balance and Bape and like, you know, I've been killing a bunch of those lately. And even these smaller brands that are like, you know, Vandy the Pinks, the Cool Guys and all those independent brands like that. Bimsy, uh, Hidden, stuff like that. Like I like wearing different stuff like that now. It's dope. How about yourself? I well, I refuse to buy New Balances. I know I'm that guy who's not going to pay attention to <laughs> trends. I'm I'm like, look. So my buddy Stan, who works works for Toyo Tires, he, he's crossed over from the Nike realm into the into the New Balance realm. He's just bitter because he's lost a lot of a lot a lot of wins on on the sneakers app, and he's been getting L's at left and right. 
Me, I'm, I've always been a Jordan 1 guy since I've been a kid. I've got some threes and some fives and, and you know, the whole thing. But I love I love special collaborations on shoes. Anything I can get that's that's unique, I'll, I'll pick up. Although I never really got into the Travis Scott stuff. But anything that's, that's a unique collaboration for Nike, I'm going to pick it up. And I will say, I've never, ever, ever, ever wanted a pair of Crocs until their most recent collaboration, which I think you got a pair of. Two pairs. What's the lady? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're bro. You're exactly right. I'm very similar to you. I was like, Jordan One is my favorite, and I have a million of those, and I love it. Uh, but otherwise, you're right. I, I sort of, you know, just stick to what's good, and I, I usually don't get Crocs. But those Slays, that we were talking about, the Slay yeah, members, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite designers right now, and to me, anything he touches is just so unique and so different. I love that sort of finger. DNA fingertip kind of thing that he puts on the Crocs and even put it on the new balances that you hate. Get a whole line of those. <laughs> he did. But the Crocs are so fire. I want them so bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not a Croc person. I totally agree that they really are. And he has a couple of different colorways coming out, so pay attention. I think there's going to be more like uh quantity of these other colorways. Who knows? I hope. Yeah, and, and I refuse to buy those on the, on the secondary market cuz I know that there's going to be for sure fakes and counterfeits and I just don't want to go down that route. Yeah, exactly. Even going through these other companies like StockX, you're definitely bound to find some fakes and stuff. So it's tricky. Yeah, super tricky. I'm going to give you one last story, and then I'm going to let you go, and we can, we can plug everything. The reason why I don't wear Crocs to this day is I'll never forget. I was in New York, and we're walking past Emerald Lagasse's restaurant. It's super, super cold out for me, California. It was like 20 degrees. But, you know, it was cold for me. And he's out there in a T-shirt, clearly got done cooking, has his apron around his waist. He's wearing a pair of shorts and a bright pair of orange Crocs. And he's just laid out on these back steps, drinking a glass of wine, looking like a slob who's clearly got more money and doesn't care. And I told myself right then and there, I'm never buying a pair of Crocs. Never going to happen. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. I'm surprised to say orange, too. I would have thought, you know, restaurant industry, they have to go like all black. But I guess you're Emerald, so you do whatever the hell you want. Right orange. He gave no <laughs> fucks that day. None. So <laughs> That's great. All right, my friend, Zach. I, I, man, I really love this conversation with you, and I really appreciate your time. Tell everybody where to find you. Give, give them the law firm. Give them the Instagram. Let's do it. Yeah, no problem. Just generally the sneaker lawyer, Zach Kurtz over here. Uh, like I said, rebranding, but for now we're the, at sneaker law firm. So give us a follow and, you know, let me know if you have any questions. I'm happy to talk to you guys and meet all you sneakerheads out there. And for all you listening, all that information will be in the show notes. And if this does happen to come out after that rebrand, we will also have that in the show notes as well. So we'll make sure to put the before and after there so you can take a look. But remember, love your My shoes. God. Yeah, thank you. Rock your, rock your kicks. I love it. All right, brother. Take care. Good time. Thanks, Chris. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.